Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Let's Talk Data podcast series three. Um, my name is Ginger, and I was your host for the first two series we did for Let's Talk Data, and I'm really excited to be back for our third series. Um, this series is all about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and it's really focused on uh, so, some new solutions we're providing from SAP. One of those is SAP Data Intelligence. And in this particular episode, um, we're really going to be focused on how did we get there? Why are we doing this? Why now? What, you know, what is it about machine learning, artificial intelligence, data management, data orchestration, all these things? Why, why is this kind of all coming to fruition now? And, and, and what's SAP's investment and what are our leaders saying about this? So today, um, I'm really thankful to be joined by two of our senior leaders in their respective organizations, both have very deep domain knowledge and, and lots of expertise. So I'm super happy to have them here. One of them is lo located in North America with us and the other one is located in Germany. Of course, by the way I talk, you can tell I'm located in God's country of the great state of Texas. So I'm about halfway between both of these gentlemen. So first I wanna introduce you to Sebastian. So Sebastian leads our machine learning development organization. He sits on our AI ethics board I've been tweeting out, he has some great like one and a half minute quotes responding to things like, will AI make humans go away and all these kind of interesting topics that he's involved in. So Sebastian, uh, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about who you are. We know you're in, I think you're in Germany. I don't know if you're Berlin or Waldorf, where you are today and about what you're doing at SAP, Sebastian. Yeah, thanks, Ginger. Uh, yeah, my name is Sebastian Wiczorek. I'm actually in Berlin, that's true. And uh, I'm business lead of uh, data, SAP Data Intelligence. That means that uh, I am leading one of the development teams that are contributing to machine learning at SAP. I'm also, as you said, uh, part of the AI ethics board that uh, SAP has set up. In there, what we're doing is we're looking into how uh, SAP is uh, formulating its guidelines towards uh, what uh, is ethically compliant usage of AI, do our products comply to AI, and also to safeguard that the products that are built and the projects that are started within SAP are complying to that. I'm also uh, helping government organizations to formulate an opinion on AI. So, for example, I'm member of the NCAT commission or study group is called, I think in English, for AI of the German parliament uh, meeting with the politicians there uh, once or twice a month to discuss uh, what to do in, in Germany towards uh, making the best use of AI in society, in, in education, in uh, economics, and of course also talk about ethics uh, and uh, their implications. And I saw a, uh, a board you were on, a panel. That's really good. It was a really uh, interesting conversation. So you definitely want to check out Sebastian and follow him and see some of the things that he's involved in. So thank you for being here today. Uh, we're happy to have you here. Happy and, to be here. And I'm also joined by uh, Mike, who's been around SAP uh, for just about as long as Hasso's been around, or maybe, maybe not that long, but a really long time. He's got deep domain in many areas across SAP. This is early morning for you, so thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit more about your role and what you're doing at SAP these days. 
Yeah, thanks, Ginger. Yes, I'm Mikey Crude. I, I lead the product management team for our data integration, data management, uh, what was traditionally called EIM products at SAP. And now, obviously, we'll talk about how that now also dovetails into our new SAP data intelligence product. Uh, and of course, our predecessor product, which was SAP Data Hub. Uh, yeah, I'm based in Palo Alto. Uh, so the other side of the planet, uh, Sebastian, I'm glad to talk to you about this. So with both of these powerhouses here, I really want us to take this um, this podcast and talk about kind of how we got here. So SAP Data Intelligence, it was announced at Sapphire 2019. It's uh, generally available. It's being um, it's being launched officially with TechEd and Strata this year. And we know it combines, Mike, you mentioned Data Hub, and Sebastian, you come from the Artificial Intelligence Leonardo Machine Learning Framework. So, Mike, I want to start with you. How did we get here? Why are, why are we combining this? Just give us a little bit about the history. Why is this important and why now? Yes, um, I, I think it's good to take a little step back, uh, maybe with some of the core foundation blocks of data, SAP Data Intelligence. So um, what we did about three years ago was we brought together all of our data integration, data quality, and what we call data governance products together under one roof. Um, and we created a new team, and that actually was the, the genesis of the SAP Data Hub project um, and the delivery of that, which it delivered about two and a half years ago. Um, so that includes all of our data integration products, which is our um, ETL, replication, and, and, and messaging products together. Um, we brought together all our data quality. And um, on top of that, you see data catalogs, the, the metadata management, and the governance products. Why we did that is we realized all those point-to-point -point solutions when it comes to looking at data management from the data landscape perspective. Um, um, we're not solving the whole problem. The, the analogy I like to give is it's like public transportation. You have trains, which may be the ETL process. You have buses. You have taxis. You have Ubers. Now you have electric scooters. And we need to be able to have a very flexible way of managing data across the whole landscape. And obviously, from an SCP perspective, we came from a very much a process integration, so process data integration, where you have things like um, EDI and things like that, which came into uh, things like cloud platform integration, process integration products, um, all the way through to analytics products, where we integrated from um, your ERP systems to your data warehouses. And we really looked at that underneath every business process, there's a data uh, process flow. So we looked at how do we combine the very distinct technologies together to say, why can't we discover data from any source? How do we look at the sharing? How do we look at building these workflows, what we call pipelines, and connecting all the systems together, uh, whether they be analytics, whether they be um, transactional, whether they be data services, whether it's a new um, expanded data networks where you start seeing data brokers and data as a service, and bring those together as one product. Now, why you would say, OK, why are we talking about um, some machine learning as well is because, obviously, uh, underneath that, we have the need to be able to do the full lifecycle, not just for analytics, not just for data transactions, but also how do we make decisions on data? And if you think about decisions in the past, uh, historically, they were either very much a transaction or a, a dashboard or a BI report that you made decisions from. Now we're automating that process. So I'd say with machine learning, we're starting to see that they, they're just another algorithm. They're just another decision-making tool. But really, the, those algorithms, how we train them, how we do the management of those from the full life cycle, is really how we see the machine learning evolving. So it's not just a case of where it sits in the corner and you have a great POC. It's how do you get the right data, how do you get the right metadata, how do you um, enable the data scientists, but then how do you build those models and deploy them 
but have all the lifecycle management around them. How do you know the decision of an algorithm that was um, trained and, and released last August versus last October versus today? So really what we're seeing is that machine learning is now, if you want to say, the next thing that we have to tackle from the data flow and the management of an operational production data landscape. Uh, we definitely see a lot of machine learning projects do well in POCs, but the operationalizing um, and that full life cycle is the next challenge that we see, and they shouldn't be any different to how we look at process data or how we look at analytics data. Uh, so before we move on to Sebastian, I just want to ask you one quick follow-up question. You mentioned that you know we brought together our uh, data integration ETL tools to become the data hub, and you know which tool you mean depends on your use case. Like you use the the, the travel analogy, trains, Ubers, scooters, all that type of stuff. So will these tools, just for the people listening, will they continue to be their own, or will all of this go to data intelligence? Could you just give us a little bit of? Is there still a use case for them? Correct. Just. Yes, yeah, a great question. I mean, I think the public transportation analogy is very good there, uh, Ginger, in that we can say, you know, even even though when we get, uh, you know, Elon Musk comes out with Hyperloop, we're still going to have trains and buses that they're going to connect to. So there's still going to be need for, for those ways of moving data. Mm -hmm. And if you think of the people movement as an example there, there's still going to be those, those ones that we take advantage of, the core ETL. So there's still going to be need for bulk data transfer, cleansing and, and loading. That's definitely not going away. I mean, with the advent of big data. Um, that's definitely more and more the case, but we're going to see the connections also to streaming and replication, but they shouldn't be independent of each other. You should be able to deploy a solution. Maybe one team does ETL, another team do, does messaging, like using Kafka. Um, and then how do we connect those together? So we need to be able to have a technology that can introspect those individual deployments and those tools, those products will still exist, uh, whether they come from SAP or they come from open source or third parties. Um, there will still be the need for those, but to be able to unify them and be able to understand what data is from where or what metadata and be able to unify them is really what we're doing with Data Hub. So it's not about simply ripping and replacing all the trains and trying to replace them with, with scooters. Um, we're really seeing this as a place for how do we connect all of those and reuse them so the existing workflows that our customers have, the, the needs to be able to deploy those products and then be able to connect them. So we, for example, have spent a lot of time showing how we can use SAP data services, SAP you know, SDI inside of HANA, how to connect to existing Kafka flows, you know, Google Pub Sub, um, how do you connect those into the same data flows, even if they're building in different technologies. Okay, good. That clarifies that. That's good to know. So, Sebastian, earlier Mike was just talking about how we want to manage machine learning as, as part of our lifecycle management, and we know we had the Leonardo machine learning framework. It's being combined with Data Hub to create data intelligence. Would you maybe give our listeners a little bit of background on the Leonardo machine learning framework and kind of why is it being included and, and why, why, why is this a good idea from a machine learning artificial, uh, artificial intelligence perspective? Yeah, sure. But before I do that, I, I mean, I, I really like your uh, analogy here, um, uh, Mike. What I uh, what I would like to add here is when you think about uh, the the uh, public transport situation, I think what we add with AI is, uh, for example, the autonomous driving uh, towards public transport, right? So it's not that uh, public transport is not going to exist forever. It's not that uh, the that is irrelevant to solve all these problems. But if you combine it with AI, if you combine it with machine learning, you uh, start to get more and more automation. And when you think about uh, data flows and when you think about what to do with the data, how to uh, manage the data right now, what people are doing is they're defining rules of how to aggregate the data, how to clean the data, how to make use of the data. And here, 
in this uh, in these parts there is the potential to um, improve efficiency and to pre improve the quality of what we're doing with the data using machine learning so that's the one part of it on the other side when we're looking at it from an ai perspective we see a lot of uh, interesting application areas of ai in in all kinds of uh, uh, in all kinds of areas like when you want to build uh, or when you want to build intelligent products that for example um, understand what are the product parts that you need to replace in a in the machinery when you put your iPhone or your or your smartphone to it and take a photo, for example, this is a this is a case where a lot of companies want to understand what are the spare parts uh, that uh, that they need to order or what kind of machine is in front of them. For that, you need to train an uh, to train an algorithm, and that, these are uh, these are the cases that we focused on with Leonardo machine learning. We focused on customer specific pro uh, problems in their products as well as customer specific interactions with their customers as well as customer specific solving customer specific automation uh, issues or, or challenges um, with uh, with the help of uh, machine learning now what we see on the machine learning side is that a lot of these cases can only be solved by pulling data from various uh, sources by uh, orchestrating them by cleaning them by uh, utilizing them for the training by uh, then uh, pushing data streams uh, uh, through the models that we trained in order to uh, come up with this uh, cool features that we want to put into the product so not only from uh, from uh, let's say in data orchestration and data hub side doesn't make sense to include machine learning into it obviously also from a machine learning side it makes great sense to combine forces and to to integrate all these uh, uh, data handling capabilities that I'm uh, now selling short here as well, obviously, um, to uh, to enrich the the uh, capabilities of a machine learning platform. And I think we had both teams talking about it from a technical perspective that we would want to um, to use each other's uh, features internally, and then figured out actually. The power is to combine both uh, uh, both parts and to make this a holistic solution that includes the uh, data handling aspects and the intelligence aspects, and hence uh, uh, starting to work on a joint product called data intelligence. And, and Sebastian, I was just going to add to that. I mean, I think you, you touched on a good point about why they overlap with each other. I mean, if we look at the um, the data scientists and, and their workflow that they have. I mean, it's that, as you said, data sourcing. How can they get a, a nice a la carte menu of the data that already exists that their data engineers and uh, people who provide services within the organization or outside the organization to connect to, um, to understand the data, but also understand the flows of data and how they can get that data to their, their um, I'm going to say, the data science playground where they want to build and train models. How do they reuse the metadata that they have? Because I think also we realize that um, data scientists spend a lot of time playing in SQL to actually prepare the data, and if they can have a you know more productivity with that um, acquiring of data before they actually have to you know and spend more time training the models, we definitely see that as a, a huge benefit. And then of course, what happens after the models are built? Um, the models aren't static. Um, the data is not static. I always joke that data is like children and wants to move and get dirty, and I think that also is becomes a problem for machine learning. 
um, in the bias or in the unfortunate um, mistakes that may be made in making those decisions, because I think it's only as good as decisions that are made. Um, but that also that operationalization um, of, of machine learning and then also the full life cycle, I think definitely we see those combined. Uh, is something that I think any data scientist would want to do, and I think also not spend their whole day in SQL, um, but spend more time in their time in Python and R and <laughs> other languages um, to actually define better algorithms, um, but also how to set up processes to do like self-tuning algorithms. I think that's the interesting part for us, right, uh, is how do we actually have those um, workflows that happen in a productive in, uh, customer's environment also influencing the machine learning algorithms. So I would uh, I would like to add that I mean obviously there's also the uh, when we talk about the challenges from a data scientist uh, perspective there's also the challenge of actually getting access so the integration capabilities that uh, that data intelligence uh, via the data hub technology is offering this I think is uh, something that is uh, that is also um, outstanding here so especially if you're um, if you're on the SAP landscape side having the possibility to connect to various uh, data sources, combine information from the various systems in a, in a meaningful way, manage the connectivity, that is something that you don't find in data science tools and that you uh, that is making it uh, that is making it hard for data scientists usually to acquire uh, information from those uh, various uh, enterprise sources. And one other uh, part when you look at it from a data science, uh, science perspective is that when we talk about the life cycle, it's not just uh, the way you want to operate the, the, the models, it's also from a, from a regulatory perspective, what, is, what kind of traceability and transparency do you need to offer uh, to your customers and to your end users? So we all know this algorithm class, what they're doing is they learn by example, and it's not in all cases that a human can explain what are the rules or what is the what is the behavior that these systems have learned now if you as an as an end user are trying to understand or are questioning why did an algorithm take a certain decision at a certain point in time what you need to understand or what you need to know in order to get an answer to that is what was the version of the algorithm that was running but also what was the training routine which uh, trained the algorithm, what was the, the data set that it was uh, trained on, and what version of the data set, and maybe even who uh, had access and where did the data set was generated from and by what method was it generated. Only then you have the full traceability from data source to the decision that is made. And obviously for data science as you're not prescribing the rules by which the algorithms are working. You need this uh, full transparency and you need the traceability down to the to the actual data that was used in order to be able to explain what it was. So from a legal perspective, that is, uh, that is very important. And obviously also the data access, uh, data anonymization and other pieces tie into that then and uh, the data lineage and whatever uh, else is there. And I think, uh, Mike, you're, uh, you're much better uh, positioned to sell all these uh, cool enterprise-ready features here. 
Yeah, and I think just, I mean, I think it's even a big enough challenge just for a data engineer or people, what we call data ops people, um, who are doing the, what was traditionally called the interfacing of data. Um, now with the, the new, what I would say, the extended data landscape, it's not everything with inside some um, company's firewall or inside the DMZ. Um, we have the enterprise systems, we have the data warehouses, but they now may not actually be even in their own data center. I mean, we now see the advent of using multiple cloud solutions. I think we saw in a survey a couple of years ago that, that people had five to seven different cloud uh, solutions, and we're now seeing that even with the cloud applications, so whether it's SAP applications like Concur or SuccessFactors or Reva, but now seeing like um, Salesforce or um, other non-SAP products like Workday, that people want to bring those in, but then also the advent of, of new cloud storages, whether it's object stores that are disrupting Hadoop, um, um, like Amazon and Google's, or you start seeing um, companies now like uh, third-party EDWs in the cloud like Snowflake, and how do you bring those in? Um, the acquiring and sourcing of data, I think, has just become even a bigger challenge for the data scientists. So for us, it was if we still have the same access, the same catalog that the data engineers and data integration people are using, why can't the data scientists access that too? I think that um, getting data for the data scientists has now become a monumental challenge. And of course, getting it in a, in, a, in a way that is consistent, right? Because I think if you think of just putting the other um, use case that we try and address with with Data Hub as part of um, data intelligence, is the the new um, chief data officer role um, and the regulatory roles that we see about understanding you. You touched on anonymizing and um, and masking of data. We now see a lot of this cases. How do you uh, make sure you're doing machine learning, but also adhering to GDPR? Um, so how do you know what data is where? How do you know the data scientists have some data that might be um, need to be handled in a very specific way, particularly if it's in certain regions like the European region or the Russian region or things like this where they have different data retention, different privacy, different usage rules. Um, and definitely we're seeing this confluence of kind of like data governance, data, um, uh, data integration, and the machine learning all come together. And I think that was, you know, I think uh, if you look at data intelligence, that's very much focused on what we're trying to do together, is to not to make one platform just for one user type, but actually how do we uh, integrate those to make them usable by the different personas. So would you both say that uh, productivity, uh either data science productivity or developer productivity and governance are two of the key major benefits. That's just kind of what I'm hearing about the acquisition of data. I think, I think uh, Ginger, I would, I would agree completely that productivity is one of the things that we see is how do we share and, and discover the data, but also the metadata, and then as, as it goes all the way through to the production um, process, how do you do impact analysis? So how do you have the lineage to do traceability, but then also how do you know if you're going to change something, what the impacts of that? How do we know if you change a table inside a data warehouse or change an API in a data service that you're offering, that that would impact an algorithm that you're running and you know that was trained in machine learning six months ago? And I think that really that productivity is, is both from how do you develop, but then how do you operate? And we definitely see this, you know, to use that term again, data ops becoming the, the new challenge for everybody is because now it won't be just one machine learning algorithm that's very high value. You know, when you look at IoT and digital twins, it's going to be thousands of algorithms running um, autonomously to the data flows. I mean, they're just going to be linked to data flows and they're going to run and they're going to self-train. And I think that movement away from human interaction and very point-to-point -point is something that we see uh, from a productivity perspective. We need to deliver tools to our customers to help them do that.
Sebastian want to add about machine learning productivity? Because I think that's also obviously how do I do things much faster and, 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 and move on to the next one, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree, and I would uh, put uh, put also an, an, a separate perspective in here. When you when you think about data science projects, I mean, they're uh, data scientists. Uh, obviously, they uh, they struggle with a lot of uh, data access uh, uh, questions that uh, you can take away from uh, from them by having this uh, specialization and having uh, operations people and and data management and governance uh, routines and, and specialists in place. But it is also a Cost factor, I think, from a uh, from a company perspective. So, let's assume you would build a data science team that is end-to-end -end responsible for uh, acquiring the data, managing the, the the training, and then managing the operations of uh, of trained models. We all know that uh, data scientists are a very rare species uh, right now, and a very expensive one as well. So, I think also even from a from a from a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense to instead of having data scientists operating the uh, trained models 24-7 to have the uh, the tooling around it so that operations people who are trained to do lifecycle management and uh, do operations of these uh, software assets are able to take this uh, task over and likewise that you have uh, data engineers that are trained to uh, to get the data out of their data sources to uh, to uh, uh, oversee the the govern, uh, governance process, and I mean, uh, what what you obviously uh, want to have as a data scientist, you want to have the freedom to use whatever uh, tools you're used to uh, uh, used to in your day-to-day -day work. And what we do with data intelligence is basically to uh, allow you to use whatever frameworks uh, you find on the market. So we're relying on. Uh, Kubernetes and Docker, which uh, is uh, is allowing you a very, uh, let's say, easy way to deploy and, and create your own assets. We're uh, enabling all kinds of uh, Python-based uh, frameworks like uh, Scikit uh, up to TensorFlow. We're uh, we're basically integrating. Uh, Jupyter Lab environment so that people can have an interactive way in their experimentation. It's it's not that, uh, or what we're trying to do with data intelligence is to give people the utmost freedom, while at the same uh, at the same time leveraging all these underneath uh, processes. Now, from a uh, spoken from a data science uh, perspective, levering, uh, leveraging the the other processes that uh, data intelligence is uh, is uh, offering in terms of uh, data management, data governance, and uh, lifecycle management. So you mentioned Docker Kubernetes. I think that's real important to discuss the platform this is on. So I guess this is not like an Abot-based uh, application, or what's 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 different about this as far as uh, Docker and Kubernetes and openness? If you guys could address that. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll jump in here. Okay. Um, so um, so. SAP Data Hub um, was the first product, on-premise product, I'd say, from SAP that was built on Kubernetes and, and, and Docker containers. And the reason we did this was really the uh, the adoption of uh, utility-type compute. Um, so instead of in the past having dedicated servers sitting idle waiting for work um, and then having to size for each project, what we're looking at is how do we switch and, and really help drive the on-premise use of, of containers. Um, and this is, if you think why we do this is really that if you think about data processes that you're building or data flows that you dynamically want to be able to say, I want to run this process, this workflow 
or these certain operations, whether machine learning, whether they're um, uh, bringing your own code, you know, running JavaScript or whatever you want to bring into those data flows. How do you actually provision those on demand saying, I want this memory, I want this CPU, I want to use this Docker uh, template? Um, and this gives you lots more flexibility, as Sebastian alluded to, with um, you can have each container um, having its own version of Python, its own different libraries that you want to use, particularly for machine learning, this becomes very important as opposed to every single um, one being harmonized on a server. Um, and then when it finishes, it gives the compute and, and store, uh, storage and, and um, CPU uh, and memory back um, to the infrastructure. So this really is about how do you do scaling, how do you share between these very different use cases that we see with data intelligence. So data science, the data engineer, data ops, all the processing of data that we would see uh, as we integrate data and in, in, in data flows. Um, this is really why we built that on that. It's not an ABAP-based system, um, so it's a very lightweight, um, distributed, scalable compute that's based on Kubernetes. We also have within the product the ability to have open connectors, so we obviously have a long history of bringing connectors from our integration background, but also how we can bring, have customers, partners bring their own APIs, bring their own connectors to their certain applications or data stores. And then also uh, the openness, I would say, also is bring your own code. So this uh, we see from people bringing their own, as I said, JavaScript, Golang, things like that, but also bringing their own Python, their own R, bringing their own libraries. If they want to use Pandas, if they want to use Anaconda, how do we bring those libraries in and say, this becomes part of your flow? So how do we say you extract this data or you have a correlation of extraction of ETL and streaming data that you want to harmonize, you want to do some um, data quality transformation, you want to do some anonymizing, and then run your algorithm and then take action based on it. So I think a lot of things also is with, with data intelligence, it's not just a, a new version of ETL where you load into a table. Um, but really about how do you take action so we can call services, whether it's an API into an ERP system or a, a third-party application in the cloud that we can actually take actions from. Um, and for us, that underlying cont uh, container technology enabled a couple of things. So one is that then we have out-of-the-box support for on-premise with the operating systems like Red Hat and SUSE. Uh, then also we support all the hyperscalers, the major hyperscalers, Amazon, Google's, Microsoft. And then also we have our own cloud solution with SAP Data Intelligence is actually a managed cloud solution from SAP built on the same technology. So if a customer wants to use Data Hub on-premise, they can choose to use our managed service and then get all the additional uh, machine learning services in a, as a managed service from SAP. What's extra cool from a machine learning perspective is that uh, we offer support for GPUs as well. So mm -hmm. if you think about scaling the machine learning jobs, that's uh, one of the essential things that uh, you can run those heavy loads, especially on the training uh, on GPUs. Oh, that's great. And I think that, the, uh, Sebastian, I think the fact that we can share those GPUs with other processes, so even um, for the on-premise deployments, non-SAP use cases. So it's not just a dedicated infrastructure that is only to um, um, to a machine learning process, right? So those GPUs, those memories, those CPUs become available as a general purpose resource, which I think is great. And also in our managed solution, we also can use it for other processes, not, not just machine learning, any algorithm that would be a, relevant to a GPU. Exactly. I'm just mentioning it because I think, uh, especially on the on the cloud side, when you or especially when you think about machine learning, you have uh, usually high load of uh, uh, high load of uh, utilization and of of your infrastructure, and that means that uh, for a certain period of time, you while you're running your uh, training job, you want to scale out as much as possible, and then uh, when you're going into production with your model, you basically go back to uh, 
smaller instances that you can run it on, maybe on on, C on single CPUs or a small cluster of CPUs. I think that uh, obviously we also enable that in the on-premise case. That's true, but the the full scale out you can obviously only achieve if you go into a cloud environment. So yeah. if you if you run your training on premise, then you're bound by the confines of your appliance or of your own infrastructure. If you go into the cloud, then basically you can scale out, yeah, uh, to the to the borders of uh, what infrastructure the 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 infrastructure that the we're that we're supporting and the hyperscalers that we're running on are offering. Yeah, very good point, Sebastian. Yeah, I didn't touch on that. That burst computing needed, um, particularly specific for, um, um, as you said, GPUs and, and the training of machine learning algorithms. So, so you guys have mentioned the use by data scientists, data ops. Um, you talked about the the chief data officers uh, in other key roles. What are some uh, problems that you're seeing our customers address with this? Um, that, that, that you're seeing so far. Sebastian, earlier you mentioned um, people that take a picture. I think I saw a use case of that on machine learning where we take a picture of a product and we automatically know like what it is in a field service situation, what the spare parts are, and then maybe even look up you know what the inventory is or the use case where there's like um, take a picture of a product that needs to be fixed, I bring it into a store, it tells me, you know, what's everything I have available. I think I think that was one, Sebastian, you mentioned. If you could talk about another one from machine learning, and then uh, I know, Mike, you have several from your side as well. Could you all just give me a couple of things, real things that we know customers are using this for? Yeah, sure, I can. I mean, from my perspective, it's the the what you can do with machine learning is obviously uh, a wide field, and, and people are doing a lot of those, uh, those things. We have people using uh, text analysis capabilities, for example, to extract sentiment or to categorize the text that uh, that they have. For example, if you're searching for help documentation, um, you get you say, OK, I have this document. Give me similar documents or documents that, uh, that uh, talk about the same topic. That's uh, that's an interesting one. Or you have images you want to have a similar image if you if you feel that the image that you want to replace in a in a presentation, if you're in marketing, um, is uh, is not compliant. You don't have the uh, the the rights to to use them. You can search for semantically similar images. Same uh, holds for time series analysis, where you want to do forecasting, for example, of sales prices, or you want to do um, you want to uh, do analysis of uh, when did something go wrong in a machine, like uh, predictive maintenance scenarios. What we see is that we are uh, we're offering building blocks, and we have been doing that uh, for quite some time. That can be reused by people, but the power of uh, data intelligence, in my opinion, from a machine learning and data science perspective, is that we're actually uh, allowing people to look at, at those assets that uh, we're providing and change the inherent uh, um, pipelines, the the models, the training routines, if they need to adjust it to their uh, to their problems and to their uh, specific situations. And I think what we see right now is that many people are struggling with using the pre-built functionality that you can uh, that you can find. Uh, what most of our customers want is to tailor really to their data, to their uh, situation, get the best out of the algorithms. And for that, you need a platform that allows you 
to really go into the into the details of the pipelines to stitch together models to uh, change data pre-processing in a in a certain way and uh, yeah that's what we're uh, that's what we're offering hmm. okay yeah I'll definitely add to that ginger a few use cases so obviously in, in, in with very broad buckets we see a lot of iot use cases so a lot of that um, unstructured or semi-structured data coming in that we need to be able to analyze and i would say it's not always the case that we we bring the data into an erp system before we make decisions now we're now making decisions on data in flight so where we're coalescing data, we're transforming it, we're enriching it, and then doing lookups and making decisions. So this is with examples of where you see things like images coming off production lines. Um, so this could be real-time uh, video images of, of a production process to make decisions based on quality. Uh, it could be, you know, in, in addition, as I mentioned, the digital twin. So if I have predictive maintenance on, on production lines, that I make decisions based on each individual piece of equipment because each one is unique. It's not, um, it's not like it was when it came from the factory. Everyone has a different maintenance cycle, different usage, different um, uh, maintenance done to it. And I think that's where we're starting to see is how do I actually have, you know, if I have a thousand pieces, similar pieces of equipment on production lines, how do I have a thousand digital twins for those to make, to be able to test this, um, my decisions, what I would like to make, and then which is the best one to actually make. So we're seeing that a lot in the IoT space, particularly as that tends to be very much disparate from what is the enterprise applications, particularly out of customers. You tend to find the IoT teams are different to the big data teams that are different to the data warehouse team, the enterprise data warehouse team that's different to the enterprise ERP systems, and how do we help bridge those? Um, I would say also what we call big data warehousing um, or um, enterprise data warehousing, then you look at this where you see object stores where people are storing all the raw data because they know it's valuable using object stores and now they're using um, data lakes but they're also using the enterprise data warehouses like HANA um, to be able to put the data for high, high speed um, processing but also um, to be able to do that very deep um, analytics on it. And this is where we start seeing, and you might say, well that sounds like standard ETL but we're now we're starting to see whereas data itself is coming in and it has to be harmonized. There's different levels of value, um, you know, refinement of the data. We're also seeing machine learning actually on the data quality parts because people are actually using machine learning on the data itself to determine what the data should be, what it's corrected, is there anomalies here on data actually coming in, not just that it sends somebody to, you know, an email to somebody's inbox to correct a piece of data. So we're actually seeing now machine learning itself being turned back on this data itself. Um, I would say other use cases that we're seeing is um, around things like um, new ones, I would say, is around like the, um, the experience, so Qualtrics type data. So how do we get surveys and bring that back? And, you know, for example, like surveys and people giving feedback on their, um, you know, usage of a service or usage of a product um, and bring that together and how do you actually look at the, how that is impacting maybe the sales or the marketing process. Um, and I think this is a new type of um, data that we're seeing um, coming in and, and customers are trying to understand how that comes in and how does that actually affect what you're doing. Um, we're also seeing a lot of third-party data influencing the data landscape, so whether that be weather data, whether that be um, shipping data from third parties or things like asset inf information networks where you have multiple um, different partners all working together, whether it's the manufacturer, the maintainer, the customer all working together on the same data. And these new types of what I would call data models is where we're seeing now a lot where data intelligence has to come in because people want to make decisions on the data. They want data flows, but they don't want to build things independently of each other. Wow, those are great. That's a lot of good use cases. I was just going to say, we have a lot of use cases if you want to go to our web page. <laughs> yeah. In fact, on that note, we're actually creating a discovery uh, use cases. Um, 
it's going to be, it's not really an ebook. We'll call it, you know, data intelligence uh, use case discovery. We'll be able to go online at scp.com, look by industry, look at your use cases, and you'll see, you'll see a lot of these examples. Um, so just kind of in closing, just one, what's one thing that you would want to leave the audience with? You could definitely go to scp.com slash data intelligence to learn more. But um, if they were going to take one thing away, especially a data scientist or an ETL developer who's listening to this or trying to figure out where they fit with this, what's the one thing that you would have them take away? Mike, we'll start with you, and then Sebastian will end with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not a case, as I said, about replacing the trains and the buses. It's about how do we enhance the, the data landscape. So how do we actually have a set of tooling? And I think we have to take a step backwards and look at all the challenges that we have. We've been very good at solving individual point-to-point -point problems in the past. But I think what we're doing with SAP Data Intelligence is how to look at how a data engineer, an ETL developer, or someone who's doing data quality or governance, how they're going to look at not just process and analytics data, but how they're going to look at machine learning data and how they're going to take that holistic view. And, a very, and, and of course, we know that landscape is going to be very agile. Um, so I'd say really that's one thing I'd say we have to take a step back and look at the problem we're solving because uh, otherwise it ends up um, as a game we have in the US like whack-a-mole, right? So we basically are not taking and looking at how we architect this. And then how do we turn the data landscape into more of a services-based architecture? So how do we have that a la carte menu of data data services like cleansing algorithms, lookups, you know, the master data lookup systems, and cleansing algorithms that we want to be able to make sure that other people are using. So I think it's about how do we make it a, a service. Um, and I think that's really what we're, the underpinnings I would say from SAP data intelligence, what we're trying to do is, you know, whether it's machine learning, whether it's somebody who's building analytics, but it's someone building a new um, process to, to load data into an ERP system, how do we have that same infrastructure be used by all of them? And, and, you know, really be productive. Great. Okay, Sebastian? Yeah, I, can, uh, I cannot add much to that. From my perspective, I think data intelligence uh, should be perceived, or, or I hope it's, it's perceived as a platform that is uh, basically enabling all kinds of uh, projects for a customer uh, dealing, with, uh, dealing with data. So it's not just uh, one thing uh, or, or solving one single problem. It's, in my opinion, a framework for driving innovation based on or data-based innovation, I would, uh, I would call it. And it doesn't matter if, you, uh, if you're trying to solve a challenge that includes machine learning or, or artificial intelligence or not. I think it's not this one case. It's from a, from a company's perspective, it should be uh, the idea that you get one platform to manage all your uh, projects that are touching data, all your uh, managing all your uh, data sources, managing all your AI uh, projects that are, uh, that, are, that are running, and governing all of that in, in one single place and with one governance model. That is, uh, I believe, the, the most important part. It's not so much about what is, uh, what is the data orchestration part or data management part of this, what is the ML part of it. I think these two things belong together, and uh, the, the data handling and the AI part together form something that is way more uh, valuable and more interesting than the uh, single pieces on their own. That's great. So the whole one plus one equals three, right? And that what we talked about as we're preparing, Sebastian, you get more. Yeah, I think, I think ML without data is not, yeah. <laughs> it's not really yeah. even conceivable, right? Yeah. 
Well, thank you both very much for joining. Sebastian, thank you so much. Mike, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you, Ginger. Thank you.